So um, we've been considering a, um, a whole series on the book of John. And tonight we come to this passage uh, where Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd. Now, this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, if you can have such a thing. But I love it because of what it tells us about who Jesus is. You might remember the past couple of weeks, we've looked at a series of the I Am statements in John. We talked about the I Am, the bread of life. Last week, Charles helped us understand I Am, the light of the world. Next week, we're going to look at I Am, the resurrection and the life. And this week, though, we come to a very unique passage where Jesus calls Himself that I am the Good Shepherd. And I love it because of all the I Am statements, it's incredibly personal. It's incredible. It, Jesus is revealing to us how He thinks of His relationship between us and Him, one of a shepherd and a sheep. I think it's beautiful, and so that's where we'll continue today. I want to share a story with you. Um, Many, many centuries ago, there was a break in the British monarchy. For those of you who are history majors, you know that there was this five or six year brief period in the history of England where it was called the Commonwealth of England. And there was a Lord Protector there, the sort of head of it all. His name was Oliver Cromwell. It's a very famous story of Oliver Cromwell. Back in those days, you know, they didn't have uh, cell phones where you took pictures, so you had your picture painted. And there was a point where this very famous painter, he was a Dutchman, his last name was I don't know what, and then they changed it to Lely because it was a little bit easier. And uh, there was a point where Cromwell was talking to this artist, Lely, as he's about to paint him, and he says these words. He says, Mr. Lely, or Lely, I don't know how to pronounce it, I desire that you would use all of your skill to paint my picture truly like me and not flatter me at all. But remark, in other words, but show all these roughnesses, pimples, warts, and everything as you see me. Otherwise, I will never pay a farthing for it. A farthing was like a quarter of a penny. He said, in other words, I want you to look at this, and I want you to paint all of it, warts and all. And you go back and see pictures of him, and he wasn't the most comely of men, I can tell you that. But I will say this, I love that story. Because I don't know about you, if somebody were to paint your picture, you would want to see it in good light. That's why you crop out certain things in Instagram posts, right? It's why you have to, have, you have to be taken from a certain side in a certain light or you delete them all. Uh, well, the reality is that uh, that sort of stuff existed then too. But why do I love it? Here's why. Because I think that most of us, we don't really want our warts known. Does that make sense? We don't want the ugly parts about us seen. And here's why. Because we know deep down that if folks really saw us, warts and all, if folks looked into the depth of our being, into our core, and truly saw who we were, that they would run. That they would be done with us. Because they almost couldn't bear who we were. That, that's the same for me, you guys. I mean, I stand up here every week and talk, but I don't. That's why I say week in, week out that Jesus loves messy people. He loves us warts and all. But I want to suggest to you tonight that's why John 10 comes to us. It's because tonight this text is going to reveal something quite unflattering about us, namely that we're sheep. We're going to look at what that means. 
But here is the real grace and the real wonderful message of this text. Is that Jesus looks into the core of us, sees all of our warts, and doesn't run. The text tells us that He knows us. And when the Bible uses the word knows, it means a deep, intimate knowledge of us. One that can best be approximated by what goes on between a husband and a wife in sexual union. It's that sort of intimacy that Jesus knows us with. And then what's amazing is He doesn't know the Instagram version of us, but He knows us, warts and all. So tonight we're going to take a look at how the shepherd knows us. The shepherd that knows is what I've titled this. And what we're going to see tonight as we understand the shepherd who knows us, we're going to look primarily at three different things. One, the idea of the character of the shepherd as John shows us. Secondly, the work of the shepherd. And then thirdly, the marvel of the shepherd. So, so the character, the work, and the marvel of the shepherd. Let's just jump right in here about what I mean by the character of the shepherd. Now one of the things that you need to see there in verse 11, do you see it? In verse 10, 11, he says that I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. One of the things that I want you to see is that Jesus is the one who cares for the well-being of his sheep, his people. Therefore, Jesus is called the good shepherd. He's not just called a shepherd, but he's called a good shepherd. And how do we know this? Look at verse 10. Did you read it? He says this, that I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What is Jesus saying here? Why does he want us to know that he is a good shepherd? Well, first of all, you need to see this. You need to know that what Jesus is saying is not, the, is not a compliment. He is calling you a sheep. And this was kind of funny. Last night, if you were at um, freshman Bible study, I asked the question as an icebreaker. Hey, if you could be an animal, what animal would you be and why? And some people said some pretty cool things. Some people said some lame things, Charles. And, <laughs> and, uh, but nobody said, you know what, I'd like to be a sheep. I think I'd like to be, I think I'd be, sheep are pretty awesome. And here's why, because sheep are not awesome. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are really, really dumb. Um, many years ago, I traveled to New Zealand and had the privilege, yes, the privilege of working on a sheep farm. You're looking at a shepherd, y'all. Uh, I was a shepherd for about three days. And uh, one of my jobs was to ride around with the head shepherd and listen to him tell me about the different sheep. And one sheep in particular, every day, this guy had to come and he had to pull the sheep out of the same piece of barbed wire fence every day. Because the same sheep would walk into the barbed wire fence to try to get food on the other side of the fence and he would get stuck. And every single morning, that shepherd would have to go to that same spot and he knew that same sheep was going to be stuck in the barbed wire fence. On another occasion as we were riding around, I noticed something else. There was this creek and there was this embankment probably about four or five feet up from this creek right there. And we were kind of coming up the creek bed like this in the water. And I noticed that there was a sheep on the ground uh, there by the water. And he had his, all, his four feet up in the air because he was dead. And I'm, I'm being serious. I mean, I know, sorry, I, you know, any folks that are sympathetic to sheep right now, hang with me. Um, 
what happened was I asked him, I said, oh my gosh, like, how did that sheep die? And the shepherd said this, he said, well, you see that water down there? The sheep was up on the embankment, and he thought that he could dip down four feet and lick up the water for his drink. And as he went over, he probably bent over and it snapped his neck and he, and he killed himself. And I was like, what, like, what idiots? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Um, y'all, this is, what, this is what the Scripture is saying about us. Is that we're helpless? That we're powerless? That we're not the brightest? And that we need a shepherd? And the idea is, is that Jesus is the good shepherd. He intends our good. That's what it says when He says that He has come to give us life and to give it abundantly. And that's because within His heart, He desires good for us. I think that is huge because you need to understand that what lies at the heart of Jesus' disposition for you is one of good, of flourishing, if you like that word. That Jesus has aimed for you as He has come to bring life and to bring it abundantly. Now, I was uh, many years ago, I was sitting underneath. I went to visit this lecture from this very famous uh, pastor, scholar, a guy by the name of J.I. Packer. And he was teaching from Romans chapter 8, a very famous passage, one that a lot of us know and are familiar with. And he was talking about this one, uh, this one verse where he says, well, you've probably heard it thrown around. It says this, that, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to purpose. And he was focusing on this word good, and he said this. I'll never forget it. He said, he's British, and I'll spare you the accent, though I really want to do it. Um, do it, do it. No, I won't do it. Um, um, thank you, though. Thanks for, the, thanks for encouraging me. Um, he said this. He says, when our Lord speaks about the good that He intends for us. He is not talking about all the good that you can think of. He's thinking of all the good that He can think of. And that is radically different. Because that means that the God of the universe is bent on doing you good. And that's what the shepherd is telling us all about. The character of the shepherd. The character of the shepherd. See, here's what I mean to say. But I think a lot of us think that with Jesus, there is bait and switchness. Y'all know anything about bait and switch? That He offers something good, and as soon as you take it, it's going to be something crappy, right? So Jesus is somebody who, or God is somebody, who He, he shows us one thing, but then He baits and switches us with something less than good. There's a hymn writer that wrote this once, William Gadsby. We sang a song of his, the Jesus the Lord my shepherd is, is his hymn too. But he wrote this, I love it. He says, the soul that on Jesus relies, he'll never, no, never deceive. He freely and faithfully gives more blessings than we can conceive. Isn't that beautiful? It's really showing us a picture of what the shepherd's heart is for us. That he longs to bless, he longs to pour himself out. And what I want you guys to begin to see is, sorry, I don't want to show you that yet. I've got to go back. I want you to see this. I want you to know that you must, you must begin to see that how you view God shapes everything. And what I want you to understand is this, is that most of us say this. We look at our life circumstances and we read God through the lens of our circumstances. 
Life is crappy, therefore God is crappy. Life sucks, therefore God sucks. And what the Scripture is urging us to do is to say no, no, change it around. It's saying this, don't let your circumstances interpret your view of God's character. Rather, let God's character from the Scriptures reinterpret your circumstances. The point is, is that when you understand that you have a good shepherd who intends your good, it helps you to place in perspective your entire life. And y'all, that is wonderful. That is what the shepherd is like. He is bent. He is bent on doing nothing but bringing about your good. What well, raises the question, doesn't it? What then is the good that the shepherd does? And that takes us to our next point, this idea of the work of the shepherd. And I think he does it by two particular things. We see it here in the text. Look at with me at verse 13. It says this. He says that he's talking about the non-shepherd, this hired hand, this somebody who doesn't love the sheep, who's just been hired to protect it, that when the wolf comes, he leaves, he flees. Why? Because he cares nothing for the sheep. And instead, the good shepherd is one who protects and does good and cares for. And I think I really want to highlight this underneath two headings, this idea of caring and protecting. That He cares for us, that He actually doesn't just stop by wanting to do good for us, but He actually puts His goodness on display and actually does it. That good shepherds don't merely say, I sure want to do good to my sheep. No, good shepherds actually do it. It dispenses with that good heart. And He cares for the sheep. He feeds the sheep. He directs the stupid sheep in the way that they should go. And ultimately, we're going to see that He lays down His life for the sheep. That good shepherds give of themselves for the good of the sheep. But they don't only do that. They also protect the sheep. That they, You see, we, um, we see it here that when evil, when the wolves come, the sheep, the shepherd, intervene. They protect the sheep from harm. And so the work of the shepherd primarily is seen in caring and protecting. This idea of doing us good positively and keeping that which is evil and wicked away. The hired hand at the first sight of danger flees. He's doing it only for the money. But at the first sight of danger, the good shepherd steps in and intervenes. Y'all... This is telling us that behind all of the circumstances of your life, no matter what they may be, that if you belong to Jesus, that God is doing everything through Him to care for you and to protect you. Even when you may not understand it and see it. Y'all, it's story time. Y'all know I do this from time to time here. But I must read you a story from my favorite of the Narnia books. It comes from A Horse and His Boy. And, um, you know, I'm probably lying. I love all the Narnia books. I just had to say that for effect tonight, I guess. Um, the story is of a boy named Shasta. And he is this boy who doesn't know who his parents are because when he was younger, he was pushed down the river. And he, Anyways, you'll, you'll hear about it. But um, all of a sudden, he's riding on his horse. And all of a sudden, it's dark at night and he begins to sense this presence next to him. It's a fearful presence. And he speaks to this presence there beside him. 
And the, and the presence begins to calm him, but he's still afraid. And this is where Lewis writes. So just relax. This, I'm going to read. We're going to have a little bit of story time, but it's, it, it'll pop you in the mouth. It's so good. Here we go. Shasta was a little reassured by the breath. He, so he told how he had never known his real father or mother. It had been brought up by sternly by the fishermen. And then he told the story of his escape and how they were chased by lions and forced to swim for their lives and all their dangers in Tashban and about his night among the tombs and how the beasts howled at him out of the desert. And he told about the heat and the thirst of their desert journey and how they were almost at their goal when another lion chased them and wounded his friend Erebus. And also how very long it was since they'd had anything to eat. I do not call you unfortunate, said the large voice. Well, don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions, said Shasta? There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I've just told you there were at least two lions the first night and there was only one lion. But he was swift of foot. Well, how do you know? I was the lion. And as Shasta gaped with open mouth and said nothing, the voice continued. I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you as you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you could reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at night to receive you. The point Lewis is making, among other things, y'all, is that this lion, this Aslan, was there all along, protecting and caring for the boy, even when he could not understand it. Here's what I want you to know, that this is exactly what Jesus is saying that He does for His sheep, that He cares that He protects them even when you don't know it. And I just want you to see that no matter what lies on the surface, He is always working out our good, our care. He is causing us to flourish because He cares for us. Now y'all look, this does not mean, of course, that there is no such thing as pain and suffering in the world. No, Jesus says it. There are wolves. They do exist. But think about it like this. If what lies at the heart of Christianity is life through death, then what that means is that God knows how to use even the worst of our circumstances to bring about our good. So I simply want to ask you, what about you? What are you going through right now that seems like it is killing you? What is hard? Is it, is it the OCHEM test that you failed? Is it a breakup? Is it that job that you're longing for that you're just not able to get? And I just want you to begin to see that even behind it all, you have a shepherd that cares for you, that is protecting you, that is delighting in you. He loves you. He, he loves you. And because He does, He is purposing and bringing out your good. Well, the question then I think that, that leaves us with is how does God actually go about this good for us? How does He secure our good? And this brings us to the last point, namely this idea of the marvel of the shepherd. 
Now, one of the things that you need to know about this text is that Jesus didn't just pick up the image of a shepherd and say, this is cute. You know what I mean? I can envision it one day. Children's wings in churches covered with me and lambs in my arms. That's why, that's why I'll pick the image of a shepherd. No. The image of a shepherd is a deeply biblical image. We read it tonight from Psalm 23. That's quite possibly the most famous of all of the Old Testament references of a shepherd. But many of you might know too that there is another passage in the Old Testament and it comes from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 34 in Ezekiel. It's a passage all about shepherds. Let me tell you a little bit about what was going on then. God was speaking through the prophet Ezekiel saying something to the shepherds of Ezekiel's day. The shepherds were not literal shepherds. They were people who had oversight over God's people. They were people who they were leaders, in other words, spiritual leaders. And here's what was happening. Ezekiel condemns these shepherds with his words because of something bad. The Ezekiel leaders, the shepherds of his day, they were getting fat on the sheep. They weren't literally cannibalizing them, but they were, they were having the sheep were not flourishing at the expense of the sheep. I mean, the shepherds were flourishing at the expense of the sheep. In other words, they were languishing where the leaders themselves should have been about the good and the flourishing of the people. And so Ezekiel has harsh words and he says, what you're doing is evil and what you're doing is wicked. And there comes a point in the book of Ezekiel where God says that there is a day coming where I will gather those sheep, where those sheep will be gathered back into me. The people will be gathered together back to me. And he says, and he goes on, he says this, he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will see the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. God Himself, not some shepherd, but God Himself would come and do these things. And so when Jesus is saying that He is the good shepherd... He is saying the time has come. God is finally going to do what He long ago promised. He was going to gather people back to Himself. But y'all, there's something even more marvelous. Never, nowhere in the Old Testament, among all of its references, do we get how the shepherd will bring back and gather up his sheep. Nowhere are we told until, until, John chapter 10, verses 15 and 17. How God will finally gather up all the sheep that He so desperately loves. And it's here that the shepherd will die. The shepherd will die for the sheep. That's the love that the shepherd has for the sheep. That He's going to lay His life down. The great shepherd, the one who will do this honorable, noble, saving act of gathering up the sheep, how will He do it? By losing His life. Because He knows the only way that sheep will ever follow Him is if they see the shepherd dying for them. The sheep stray, yet the shepherd is the one who dies. He gets what the sheep deserve, death. They've run away from the shepherd. And the shepherd says, the only way that these sheep will ever know 
that I love them will be for me to show them that I've loved them all the way to death, that I will die for their waywardness. Do you remember what the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 53 of Isaiah? He says this, that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He, Jesus, opened not His mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so He opened not His mouth. Y'all, the lamb dies so that the sheep will live. The lamb dies so that the sheep will live. That is the marvel of the shepherd. So here's what I want you to simply see. That Jesus delights in you as your shepherd. And then He stops at nothing to go out and to rescue and to bring His sheep back to Himself. He does everything. So here's what I want you to see. How many of y'all... Don't raise your hand. It's only Wednesday. How many of y'all think you've just blown it this week? Or maybe this has been the crappiest semester for you because you've made promises in August that you've not kept in September and October and now in November you're still not keeping them. You swore this was, the, this was going to be the semester when I came back from college because I had some awesome summer where I was going to really finally be serious about Jesus. And you know what? It has been a sucky, crappy semester. Jesus is saying to you in this text, I lay down my life for my sheep. I love you. I will stop at nothing to bring you home. When the wolves come, I will kill them because they will not kill you. When your life is falling apart, I am the one who will bring you back because I am the good shepherd. This is what I do for my sheep. Your life or mine, I lay mine down a hundred times out of a hundred so that you will live. That's the love that the shepherd has for his sheep. He, um, he deeply cares for us. He deeply demonstrates His character in the way that He pours out His life for us. I want to conclude here. Many years ago, a man named David Ireland, I told some of you that I was stealing an illustration. This is it. A man named David Ireland wrote a book called Letters to an Unborn Child. He wrote this book because he had a severe neurological condition that was eventually to take his life. And he wanted to record the character of his wife, their mom, and the work that she did to care for him in his condition. The condition left him paralyzed from the neck down, so he was completely helpless, unable to do simple tasks. And he retells a date on one particular night of how his wife's character is put on display as she cares for him. Listen to what he says. He says, it means that she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel me out of the house and down the steps, open the garage and put me in the car, take off the pedals off the chair, stand me up, sit me in the seat of the car, twist me around so that I'm, uncom- so that I'm comfortable, fold the wheelchair, put it in the car, go around the other side of the car, start it up, back it out, get out of the car, pull the garage door down, get back into the car and drive off to the restaurant. And then it starts all over again. 
She gets out of the car, unfolds the wheelchair, opens the door, spins me around, stands me up, seats me in the wheelchair, pushes the pedals out, closes and locks the door, wheels me into the restaurant, then takes the pedals off the wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable. We sit down to have dinner, and she feeds me throughout the entire meal. And when it's over, she pays the bill, pushes the wheelchair out to the car again, and reverses the same routine. This, after one night, just after one night, and then she lays him into bed, and marvel of marvels, after all that, she says to him, Honey, honey, thank you for taking me out to dinner. What love, what care. She does all the work, and he's showered with delight. And I want to tell you tonight, y'all, that it is nothing less than what the Good Shepherd does for you. That he knows us to the core. He sees us warts and all. He sees our, our, our straying, our not giving a you-know-what about him, And He does all the work that the Father requires. And in so doing, the words that we will hear from Him on that last day are, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Y'all, He showers us with delight. He is the Good Shepherd. He is the Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Our Father, what are You doing in sending us this sort of shepherd? We just don't deserve Him. We don't. And yet, in Your kindness, in Your matchless love for us, You go all the way out, knowing us all the way down. You raise us all the way up and bring us all the way home because You delight in caring for us. Because that's what good shepherds do. They love the sheep. They lay their life down. Jesus, thank You. Thank You that You love us. And thank You that because of Your love for us, we have a future and that we have a hope. And so we pray, O Lord, that You would make these things real for us even now. And it's in Your name that we pray. Amen.